from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Let's open our Bibles, Romans chapter 6. If um, if you're new with us, my name is David York. I'm the pastor here, and it's uh, my joy to be able to open God's Word with you this morning and uh, and celebrate the goodness of God as we study in Romans 6. We have been in a series over the last few weeks, and it's going to last us until uh, probably uh, into September, um, a study on what it means to be united with Christ. And we've been looking at Romans 5 through 8, and we've done this for a reason. And the main reason is because as you watch your world today, it is changing rapidly. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you can't you can't keep up with it. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a big English Premier League fan, and the teams are even changing like crazy, right? Much less the world. And so you've got to keep up with stuff. And if you're not careful, you will lose sight of what the objective truths of the gospel are and what their implications are for you right now. And so what we've been doing is doing this series because we believe that with this changing world going on around us, with our own changing emotions, I mean, your emotions change from the moment you got out of bed to the moment you put a cup of coffee in your mouth, right? I know some of you, right? Uh, your sanctified self, once you got coffee in you, we saw Jesus, right? I mean, okay, totally get it, right? And our emotions are changing all the time, and it's so important for us to get these objective truths of what God says in His Word is true about us as Christians now based on the facts of what happened 2,000 years ago. That's why we're doing this series, right? And so far, we've seen some really amazing things. We've seen that being united with Christ means that Jesus is our perfect representative before God. That means that right now in your life, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, Jesus right now is representing you before God. And when God interacts with Jesus, he's also in a way in Jesus interacting with you. That's how he relates to you. It means being united with Christ means that Jesus' perfect life was accredited to us as if we had done it by the gift of God's grace. You know what that means? That means that right now God relates to you right now on the basis of Jesus' perfect obedience. That's how God relates to you. So God interacts with you. And he interacts with you on that basis as if you perfectly obeyed like Jesus perfectly obeyed. Wow. Being united with Christ means that you and I have a relationship with God and we have access to God. Listen to this. Just like Jesus has a relationship with God and has access to God. I mean, that's remarkable news. That we have instantaneous access, the same access to the Father that Jesus has. That's remarkable. But then we saw last week that it also means something really unique to our daily lives of how we live every day. Right? And if there's one regret I had about having the baseball at the ballpark was I picked the most difficult text to preach through in Romans 6, right? I wish I'd have picked an easy one like, you know, John 3.16, you know, or, you know, something simple. But this was hard, tough sledding. And what we saw last week was this wonderful picture that 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, that our old sinful self died with him. And when he rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, we were raised in a brand new way to live a brand new life. Literally our old self, old man of sin died with Christ and our new man in Christ was raised to life. Now listen, this is not a renovation. You know, like, you know, some of you bought houses maybe in the last couple of years and you're going through doing renovations, right? You got to change out the kitchen, got to do the bathroom. This is not what this is. What this is, is you bought the house with the property and you demolished the house and then you built something brand new on. That's what's going on in the life of the Christian. God has replaced the old with something brand spanking new. What a cool thing. We do not need to give in to sin anymore 
nor do we ever face the judgment of God ever again in our lives. Because when Jesus died, he died to the power of sin and the penalty of sin and raised us to where we're freed from the power and penalty of sin every day of our lives. You want to talk about living free lives. It's remarkable. Now, the reason why those things are so important is notice because they are objective. They never change. You know what they're based on? They're based on a historical event that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ lived in your place, died in your place, and rose again from the dead. And as true and as perfect and as good and as holy as Jesus is, this is as objective and as true and as unchanging as God is, these truths are unchanging. It means it never changes. It, 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 does, it doesn't matter about your success or your failure. You know what that means? This means that God right now does not relate to you. He doesn't love you more when you think you love him more. And he doesn't love you less when you think you loved him less. He is unchanging toward you all the time because of this objective fact. That's really good news. Aren't you glad about that? So this morning when you kind of got, you know, in the car and your kids were being a nutcase and you kind of lost your mind for a minute, God does not change his, his love for you and his care for you. He may, now he may discipline you, but that doesn't change his, his care of you. Doesn't. But these also show us how God relates to us, how God sees us and how God empowers us, right? These things mean that in Christ, this is how God relates to us. Now, see, you and I like to relate with God on the basis of what we've done. God relates to us on the basis of what Christ did as if we did it. (laughs) It's good, right? Which means, which is astounding news, you always have an A in the class. Right? And for those of us that are English dorks, that's a really good news, right? I mean, I needed an A in English. Right? This also means this is who we are as Christians. At the very base foundational level, this is our identity. That's a big term today. This is who we are in Christ. And things that we must remind ourselves day after day after day after day. So let me give you a way I remind myself of these things all the time, right? I, I reread gospel news all the time. I just do. I have to have it in my soul. I find devotionals that, that I, I do audiobook stuff, so I just have to reread it to me all the time. When I get tempted with certain sins, I literally will say out loud, if I'm by myself, right? I mean, you know, I will say, David, you don't have to do that. Has no, it has no power over you. You don't have to do that. Right? And I'm reminding myself of this truth all the time. Then when the world's going crazy, like, you know, stuff's changing all the time, there's this objective truth that just like in the middle of a storm, it's like the rock of Gibraltar. It just never moves. It's, just, it's static. It's there all the time. Right? Okay? Now, Romans 5 that we've studied is all about how Christ is our representative before God and God's free gift of Christ's righteousness being given to us by God's grace. Because we are not righteous, and in order to be right before God, we need a righteousness that is way more righteous than we are, and we needed Christ. And God gave us Christ's righteousness, and we didn't deserve it at all. It's a free gift of God's grace. Romans 5 is all about how we are made right with God. If you want to know how you're made right with God, Romans 5 really helps you understand how you're made right with God through your your representative before God, which is Christ. Romans 6, though, is all about how this new status with God, this new relationship with God, how it's lived out in everyday life. Right? See, we can stay in the clouds a little bit and go, okay, yeah, God relates to me this way. He sees me this way. He empowers me this way. Romans 6 is all about how it's lived out in the very practical, everyday inner workings of our lives. And you're going to see this more in Romans 7 too, because Paul's going to say something that we all relate to. The very things I hate, I do. And the very things I'm supposed to do, I don't do. Anybody relate to that? Okay. Now let me give you a very rough, imperfect metaphor 
to just help you understand what we've seen so far. Okay? So just imagine for a moment that you're living in a country controlled by an evil dictator. Now listen, you may think it's America. That's not, okay? You know, there's, a, there's worse places in the world. I know it's shocking for some of you, right? Okay? Controlled by an evil dictator. And here's what this dictator does. He controls what you do. Whatever is on your phone, he has control of. He controls your work. He controls where you live. He controls uh, all the traffic lights. He's got control over everything. And then one day, miracle upon miracle happens, and war comes into your country, and the evil dictator is defeated. He's ripped down off of his, his throne, and he is locked up, and his rule has come to an end. And a new ruler replaces him. And the new ruler has a meeting with all the citizens of this country and says these words. Listen, your lives are now free. Your, your jobs, you can get your own job, whatever job you want to get, you can. You can spend your money any way you want to spend your money. You don't, you don't have, well, this would be real free. You don't have to pay taxes. We'd be like, yeah, thank God. Right? I mean, right? Okay. You don't have, you, you, you can drive where you want to drive. You can go, your kids can be involved in whatever activity you want to be. And all of a sudden you feel as, oh man. But then he says this, but listen, the evil dictator is locked up. We got him put away and he's awaiting judgment. But because his, his control was so vast, we, we have yet to eradicate all of his messaging from around the country. So periodically you're going to see a billboard that's going to have a message from this evil tyrant. You might be driving down the road and a little ad comes on Spotify because you don't have Spotify premium, right? And, and you didn't buy that. And so the ad comes on and it tells you something from the evil dictator. And here's the deal. Anytime you see an ad on TV, you got, you know, you're watching Hulu live with ads because you haven't paid the extra fee. We all get that, right? You're going to see an ad from the evil dictator. You do not have to obey any of that. And so one day you're driving to work. Your new job. Excited to get to your job. And you, you're going to pass the exit that you normally take, but by pattern and habit, what do you do? You pull off that same old exit. All of a sudden, Spotify comes on. You get this ad from the evil dictator, and he tells you, you know, don't forget to, when you get to work, you got to do this. And you're just, you're getting nervous in your heart again, right? Because these messages are coming out, and you're so used to the control of this evil dictator, you don't know what to do with yourself. And then suddenly you remember, wait. I'm free. And you get back on the interstate and you go to your new job and you live happily ever after. Okay? That, that, that's what we're seeing in Romans 6. Christ has defeated the power and penalty of sin, but its presence is still with us because we live in a Genesis 3 world. Everywhere you look, there's billboards, there's advertisements. Obey me, do this, watch this, see this, do this, don't do that. If you do this, you're this way. All these different advertisements are around us, but we don't have to obey sin's dictates anymore. Now, as I was studying this week, I ran across this uh, paraphrase of Romans 6 from Eugene Peterson in The Message. Now, when you read The Message, you just got to know it's a paraphrase, but here's what Eugene Peterson wrote that is fantastic. In Christ, we have left the country where sin is sovereign. See, that's what we're studying in Romans 6. Okay? So with that in mind, let's stand together. Let's read Romans 6, 15 through 23, and then we're going to pray. Romans 6, verse 15. This is the reading of God's word. And we stand because we believe it's inspired and true and accurate and God-breathed. And it is given to us for life and godliness. What then? Are we to continue to sin? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. 
For when you were once, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time? From the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have set us free from the bondage of sin. And you have placed us in the kingdom of your beloved son. This morning, would you free us even more? from the evil dictator's decrees. Would you help us see that true freedom is found in following Jesus? And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. Now, if you're new with us, you probably got a bulletin. And on the bulletin, there's a big idea at the top. And here's the here's what we hope to see today that I think we're going to see pretty clearly as we go. Our union with Christ means... That we are no longer under the rule of sin. We are under the rule of God. And this is a work of God. And we're going to see that pretty clearly. Our union with Christ means that we're no longer under the rule of sin. We are under the rule of God. And this is a work of God. So let's start by looking at point one, which is the question. You're going to see this in verse 15. Because Paul begins this section the same way he started the chapter. So chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? In verse 15, he says the same kind of question. In a sense, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin because we're no longer under grace, under law, but we're under grace? Now, evidently, Paul was getting some questions from some critics who thought that our relationship with God was solely based on our performance and our obedience. So his critics went nuts when Paul brought something up about God's grace, that God's grace is greater than our sin, and that God freely accredits Christ's righteousness to us as a gift of God's grace. So what they thought was this. Okay, so Paul, you're saying we can keep on sinning and still get God's grace. You're saying that we can still live in sin because if our performance or our duty or our or our obedience doesn't make us right with God, then why does it matter how we live anyway? That's why we have this question twice in Romans chapter 6. Should we continue to sin? And Paul's answer to the critics of God's grace is really clear. He says, no. We don't keep on sinning, nor do we continue to sin if God's grace makes us right with God. You can see in verse 2, he says, in verse 15, he says the exact same answer. By no means, which means, literally means, God forbid. There's no way this can happen. If a person is made right with God through the righteousness of Jesus by an act of God's grace... They should not, nor can they, continue to live in their same willful, rebellious state before God and keep doing the same things, knowing that it displeases God. They can't do that. And in Romans 6, Paul gives us two reasons why. Now, the first reason we covered last week, which is in verses 1 through 14, and Paul's point is this. We don't keep on sinning. Because in our union with Christ, being connected to Christ by God's grace, we have died to sin with Christ, and we've been raised with Christ to live an entirely different way. See, here's what Paul's logic is. If we've died to sin, that literally means sin's power no longer has dominion over us. It doesn't dominate us anymore. Nor does sin's penalty of condemnation hang over us anymore. We're not controlled by sin and anymore at all. If we've been raised with Christ, we're going to live completely different lives. And so his point is, sin must no longer dominate us because Christ has given us his power to live totally different. That's way different than before we came to Christ. Because before we came to Christ, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We cannot obey God. All we can do is obey our sin. We give into it so naturally. So you've heard me say a lot. We don't have to teach our kids to fight or to steal or to cheat or to lie or to do goofy things, right? I mean, they do it naturally, right? 
That's why, you know, as adults, we, you know, show our childhood when people get promoted over us, we get mad. It comes natural. You have to teach yourself that. Why? Because that's who we are outside of Christ. But in Christ, there's this beautiful picture that we've died to our sin, don't have to obey it, and we can be raised to live a brand new way. If some of you are probably Godfather fans, you you know, and you you remember when the you know the Italian Godfather decided that one of his sons was dead to him. What that meant was when he walked in the room, no acknowledgement. Somebody earlier in the early service said, man, it reminds me of the beautiful mind. Remember that story? He said, in the beautiful mind, when that, that guy's in the room talking to him, he's like, nope, nope, don't need to listen, don't need to listen. That's what this is like. You now have the ability in Christ to be dead to sin. That's part one of Paul's logic. But in verses 15 through 23, we're going to see another reason why we don't continue in sin. And it's this. In our union with Christ, listen clearly, we're now ruled by God, not ruled by our sin. And God's kingship over us dictates how we live. That's why you've heard me say, if you've been in our church very long, I said, listen, for for husbands and wives... The most important love that a husband or wife is to have in their heart is not their spouse. It is King Jesus. Because, here's the deal, if King Jesus is my king, then whatever happens between me and my second love, my wife, we're going to work that stuff out because Jesus matters to us more than even each other. What does my king say? See, that's what we're going to see today. There's been a a transfer here, right? So the question that Romans 6 is asking is, can, if people put their trust in Jesus, can they, can they just keep on sinning? And Paul says this, no, people put their trust in Jesus, don't keep on living the same old way they lived before they came to Jesus. Because Jesus changes us. He died to our sin and we died with him. And with Jesus, we are raised to live in a brand new way. And when we trust in Jesus, we're now ruled by God, not ruled by our sin. See, that's the question. Now let's look at the principle, point two, and we'll see this in verse 16. When Paul wrote, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now, we've got to understand that in the first century, they had slavery. It was part of their world, part of their life. That's the reason why Paul, later in the text, you'll see his says, I'm speaking to you in human terms, right? That doesn't mean Paul was speaking heavenly terms and said, I need to, you know, all you guys are idiots. I'm going to talk to you in human terms. No, he's bringing down a metaphor of slavery to connect it with this idea of obedience to God. And his point simply is this. In in first century uh, Rome, there was this thing called voluntary slavery. And basically what a voluntary slave is, they might have owed some debt, owed some money to somebody. They might have really liked somebody who was a master. They might have, they might have been treated very well by this person before. And they joyfully submitted themselves under voluntary service to do what they told them to do. And in, in, in exchange for money. And so the metaphor Paul's using here is voluntary slavery that all these people would understand again. And the principle that Paul's using from this example or this metaphor of slavery is this. It's really easy. We are ruled by the one we choose to obey. We are ruled by the one we choose to obey. Now I had this conversation recently with somebody who is battling with a variety of, uh, you know, same-sex attraction, uh, sexual uh, immoralities, the whole thing. And this individual said, look, these things are not a choice. And I said, no, actually, they are a choice. Let me tell you why they're a choice. And we went through and explained why these things are choices. What Paul is saying in Romans 6 is you can choose to obey your sin. But as a child of God, you have this whole other beautiful thing. You can also choose not to obey your sin and choose to obey God. See, the principle is we're ruled by the one we choose to obey. We what we serve is what rules our hearts. What we give ourselves to is our master. It was this way, Paul would say, in voluntary slavery, and it's this way in our dealings with sin or our dealings with God. 
Either we will give ourselves to sin, which leads to death, which we'll talk about that more later, or we will give ourselves to obedience, which leads to righteousness or becoming more and more like Jesus in our daily lives. Now, what Paul's doing here is getting really practical. He's talking about the daily struggle with sin that all of us feel. We all face it. Right? Like I said this morning, we all face it. The moment we got out of bed, you can feel it. And sin, just so we can know, is anything that violates God's moral standards or God's laws. Okay? Simply put. Now, I I like to make things more simple because I'm a simple-minded guy who has to think in these kind of terms. And it helps me. Sin is ultimately disobeying God in exchange for obedience to myself in a way that I think is better that's not God's way. Another way I think about it a lot is sin is self-reliance. Sin is self-centeredness. It's being ruled by selfish, sinful patterns. And I think if you were to, like, would, I, I do this a lot in my life, so bear with me, but I'll take a sin that I'm dealing with, and I will ask the why question, not the what. What did I do? I'll ask why. Why did I do this? What What is it in my heart that is motivating this sin? I'm asking the why question because I want to get to the desire or the ruler in my heart that is not God. See? And all you, every time I find self-centeredness, I find self-reliance, I find selfishness, I find, you see, I, I find the kingdom of self right in the dead center of all my sin. Right? So, what I think Paul's getting at is, which is amazing, when we give ourselves to the kingdom of self to obey its passions, we are slaves to our sin. And the ultimate end of that is death. Death to our peace, you know, internally, we might have anxiety, we might have fear. Death of our relationships, there's conflict everywhere we turn, it's always somebody fighting, you know, we can't stop spewing stuff out of our mouth and we just say, oh, that's just who I am and, you know, it's my spiritual gift is being a jerk, you know, and that kind of thing. And we go, well, okay, whatever, but that's sinful and, you know, and we got to deal with that, right? But the ultimate thing, he says, the death of, meaning death of our separation from God and his grace, his mercy and his love. See, but Paul says, but in Christ, if we get, when we give ourselves to obedience to God, it's going to lead to practical everyday righteousness. See, in Christ, here's what God does. He makes us right with God by accrediting Christ's righteousness to us as if we did it. So when God relates to us, he relates to us on the basis of Christ's righteousness. But if we're in Christ, listen clearly, the same grace that made us right with God also empowers us every day to be more and more like Jesus practically. Which its ultimate end is peace in our hearts before God, joy, and eventually eternal life. Now what Paul's getting at in Romans 6 is you can't serve two masters. You can't give yourself to the kingdom of self and sin and give yourself to the kingdom of God. You can't. You're not there. You, you, you don't have to obey this anymore. You can obey the kingdom of God now. So the principle is clear. We're ruled by what, by, by the one we choose to obey. Now let's look at the practice. We'll see this in verses 17 through 19. Paul wrote, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now notice how Paul starts this off with just taking a moment to thank God. But thanks be to God. And what he's doing is he's thanking God for the ability for us to be able to give ourselves to obedience. See, the reason for Paul's gratitude is that suddenly Paul is helping us be awakened to the transfer from the kingdom of sin to the kingdom of God's beloved son is a work of God. And he deserves all thanksgiving. And notice what he says. It's his transfer of rulership. You're no longer ruled by sin. You are now ruled by Christ. Notice what he says in the text. He says, you who were once slaves of sin, but have become obedient from the heart 
Then he says, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. See, notice what these terms are. They're all past tense. Well, I have a question for you. You you weren't here when Paul wrote this in Romans 1, or Romans 6. Yeah, this is as true for you today in 21st century Roseburg, Oregon, America, as it was true for the Christian who Paul wrote this for in Romans chapter 6. It's all past tense. You were once slaves of sin, but now you become slaves of righteousness. You have been set free from sin, but now you have become obedient from the heart. See, these phrases, you can't miss the phrases, were once and have become are significant. Because they refer to a transfer of kingdoms that God has worked in us as his people. This is remarkable. I mean, this, I mean, Colossians 1, Paul wrote this and it connects the dots. He, speaking of God, has delivered us, past tense, from the domain of darkness and transferred us, past tense, To the kingdom of his beloved son. See, we were once under the rule of the kingdom of darkness, but now we have become under the rule of the kingdom of Christ. See, that's what Paul's getting at. And this transfer, when this happens, it helps us and empowers us to be obedient from the heart. See, I want you to understand something. You cannot obey God from the heart. If you're being ruled by the kingdom of sin. Being obedient from the heart indicates an awakened soul of the Christian being raised to live a brand new way. Without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We have no spiritual life in our hearts to obey God. We are dominated by sin. So listen, if you're here and you're not a child of God, here's what happens. You are dominated by sin. The only choices you make every day of your life are sin-filled. They just are. You can't resist sin. Sure, you can be good periodically because that just reveals a common grace of God at work in everybody. But that's not saving you, nor is it nor is it pleasing to God because it's not done in faith. But when we hear the gospel, the power of God goes to work. And here's what God does. Just like he breathed life into Adam, he breathes life into the soul. And the soul... <gasps> Breathes and believes. And a heart that was once dead like stone now becomes soft as living flesh and begins to beat. And that living heart is enlightened and awakened and given new life to a spiritual body. And we confess with our mouths and we believe where? In our hearts that Jesus is Lord. And we become obedient from a now alive spiritual heart by the power of God. See, the implication is that we were once dead in the kingdom of self, but now in the kingdom of Christ, we're given life to obey God by the power of God with a brand new beating heart. See, and you can see this in verse 19. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the Bible. I mean, you know. Just as you once presented yourselves as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. See, what he says in verse 19 is, because you have left the country where sin is sovereign, and you have entered the country where Christ is sovereign, you now have the power to give yourself to right living. Just as we once gave ourselves to sin. Now just for a moment, think about it. How did you give yourself to sin previously? Well, you did it naturally. It's what you did. You loved it. You hated the results. The effect it had on you, but you you just did it naturally. You did it all the time. You did it because that's who you were. You did it because it said something about you. He says, just as you gave yourself to lawlessness, so now, he says, in the same way, loving it, giving yourself to it, believing there's there's benefits to it, give yourself to righteousness, 
Which leads to just being set apart to God and being made to look more and more like Jesus every day of your life. See, to be transferred to the kingdom of Christ means, listen clearly, we can give ourselves to right living by the power of God. Now, before you get too far ahead of yourselves and think, boy, look what I've done. I've, you know, I've got, I've kind of got this, I'm here. Let's go back to remind ourselves what Paul says at the beginning of this verse 17 when he thanked God. I love what J.C. Burkauer wrote about verse 17, and here's what he wrote. The essence of Christian theology is grace, and the essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. See, when we're made right with God and we've been given new life to obey God, let me tell let's be God deserves all the glory and all the thanks. And I hope that you see this so big in your life that when something good comes out of you, you step back and go, whoa, God's at work. Right? That you don't just go, boy, look at him. I tell you, man, this is awesome. Right? I tell you this, knowing how I lack some compassion in my soul, people who know me very well know that. And when I get compassion, I look at my wife and I go, can you believe God is at work? And she's like, and thank God for that, right? I mean, thank God, right? I mean, God is at work. We, we should have this perspective. Thanks be to God. He deserves all the glory. The only thing we brought to the table for our salvation, guess what it is? The sin for which Jesus died for. Figure it out. Jesus died for your sin, my sin, not for your purpose. He died for your sin, to deal with your sin. Not for your wealth, not for your health. He died for your purpose, for your sin. That's why he died. That's what you contributed. You're kind of a loser. I mean, you know, you know, it's kind of bad, right? God deserves praise and thanksgiving for making us his children. However, what Romans 6 says is fascinating. Just because God saving us is an act of God's grace does not take away from us the privilege or the responsibility to obey our king. See, because we've been set free from sin, we now have the ability to give ourselves to right living. And just because that power comes from God doesn't mean it's automatically going to happen without us engaging it on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. We are to give ourselves to right living because we are in the righteous king's kingdom, see? And we can give ourselves to right living because we are in the righteous king's kingdom, see? Now, that doesn't happen without God doing the work. But when God puts us in his kingdom, what does he say? Now you got the power and the ability to give yourself to me. So give yourself to me. We are to give ourselves to righteousness, which in turn will lead us to be more and more and more like Jesus. So listen, here's what this means. If you're a child of God, you do not have to submit to your greed Anger, pride, jealousy, gluttony, drunkenness, anymore. You know what that means? It means you can actually open up your social media feeds and you can read about your friends going on this wonderful vacation and you can be freed from the jealousy that says, how can they afford that? How can we never get to do that? Why don't we get to do this? And you'll finally begin to see that people only put on social media the good stuff. I mean, listen, I know a lot of homeschool moms in this church, and none of them, none of them are posting the mac and cheese being thrown across the table at one another. You know what? They want to show the beautiful picture of the kids sitting at the table, and, you know, right? And you're like, that, that, hey, that, that happened for 30 seconds. We know because we homeschool, right? We can say that, right? You can be freed from the jealousy of that. You can be freed from the moment when you go to work tomorrow and a, and a coworker got exalted to a position over you. You can be freed from the sin that might arise from it. You can be freed even from the, if you're the one getting the promotion, from the pride that wants to bust out your chest and go, do you see what I did? See? But let's go even farther, right? This means you can be freed 
from the deepest addictions possible. I mean, let this sink into your soul for a minute. This means you can be freed from immoral attraction. And we all know what that may be. It may be heterosexual, it may be homosexual. You can be freed from that. In Christ, you can be freed. You can be freed from that moment when you're sitting in front of the computer screen and you get a temptation to look at that immoral website. You don't have to do that anymore. You have the power in Christ to walk away. So you, you can be free. You, you, that's how free, and you want to talk about freedom. And that freedom means, listen, in Christ, you can now give yourself to right living. Not just not do something, you can now do something. Meaning, in Christ, you have the power in Christ to be content. How would that one be in America, right? I mean, you have the power to be patient. You have the power in Christ to be humble. You have the power in Christ to be sexually pure. And to be satisfied in your purity. See? See, this is, this is powerful. This is, this is true freedom. But this also tells us something else. If we continue to give ourselves to sin willfully and rebelliously before God, we need to step back and ask ourselves, have we really transferred kingdoms? And if Christ, we really believe Christ is our king. So the question really, Romans 6, really just, it just jumps off the page is, are you living like you have left the country where sin is sovereign? And are you living in the country where Christ is sovereign? See? Does Jesus as your king matter to your daily life? That's, that's the question that Paul is just pulling off the page here, and he's going to show us something fascinating. He's going to say, and you'll know that by its fruit. That's our last point, the fruit. You'll see this in verses 20 through 23, because the fruit of our living is going to reveal which king we're serving. We just have to understand that. Now, where I grew up in the great state of Texas, um, <clears throat> we always had potlucks. and potlucks, we usually had, you know, banana pudding. We always brought banana pudding. And we always had this saying about anything, but generally about pudding as well. You'd know if it's real banana pudding because the proof is in the pudding. Right? And if it's imitation stuff, it's like, yeah, this ain't it. If it's real bananas, I mean, got the real, you know, using my Texas terms, Nilla wafers. Oh, man. I mean, it's got the good stuff in there. The proof is in the pudding. And we would relate that to life. The proof will be in the pudding of life. That's what Paul's pointing out. This little quaint saying would basically, you're going to know if it, how it tastes, how it smells, how it acts. It's going to be seen. It's going to be obvious. And Paul's point is, you'll know what kingdom you're serving by observing the fruit, by seeing the proof in the pudding. And there's two ways he does this, and they're fascinating, so you got to pay attention. Verse 20 says this, he tells us there's a freedom... That brings slavery. See, if we're enslaved to sin, he says in verse 20, we're free from righteousness. So there's a freedom from righteousness, but there's an enslavement to sin. This means if we're under the bondage of sin, we're not under the control of righteousness. And listen, friends, everywhere around the world, I can tell you, the world wants to tell you that sin is freeing. They do. Have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. No consequence. Don't worry about who it is, when it is, where it is. That's why abortion on demand is out there. Listen, we're just being frank. It's all about not being able to control our desires. It's bottom line. It's lack of, we just think that's bringing freedom. The freedom to enjoy whatever you want, whenever you want, no matter how much you want. Food, drink, you name the issue. The freedom to treat anybody the way you want to treat them, regardless of consequences. And all of this is made to look normal, and it's made to look liberating. But I can be honest with you, I, I've had multiple questions with people about this, and I asked this question that Paul asked in Romans twenty-one, Romans 6.21. What's the result of that kind of living? 
Paul asks a fascinating question. What's the result? What's the fruit of those things you're now ashamed of? In other words, what Paul's asking is, hey, how's that working out for you? I'll get young men who I'm working with in the game of baseball, and these kids are giving themselves all kinds of stuff, and they come to me with all kinds of issues in their life, and I just say to them, hey, I got a question. How's that kind of living working out for you? And you go, coach, man, you don't understand, man. It, it's, it's bad. I'm filled with fear, guilt, anxiety. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out all the time. How's it working out for you? How's it working out to live and do your own thing, live for your own passions and serve yourself when you look around everybody else that you've stepped all over? How's it working out for you when you're trying to find your happiness in things that hurt you and try to find your satisfaction in things that will bring you shame? Paul says the result of that is death. That's where it's going. Death of contentment, death of peace in your soul, death in relationships, conflict everywhere, people you can't face because you've sinned against them, death of ultimately eternity of being separated from God, God's guidance and grace and mercy. There's a freedom that is slavery. Like a boa constrictor just slightly and slowly going and trapping you, bounding you, and squeezing you out. And I've said this before, and you should write it down. Sin always keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it will always cost you more than you want to pay. Always. It always keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it will always cost you more than you want to pay. It robs your life of its purpose and meaning. It, 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 robs, it promises life, but it brings death because there is a freedom that is slavery. But notice the next thing that Paul does to show us this whole thing about fruit is there is a slavery that is freedom. See? Look at verse 22. He says that now that we're slaves to God, the fruit of sanctification being made right, being made more like Jesus, and its end is what? Eternal life. In other words, true life. What Paul is getting at is now in Christ, you are set free from the slavery of sin, which leads to death, to serve the living God, which leads to life. And you're restored to your original design before God. You're put in right relationship with the living God. You were once dead, but by God's grace, you're finally, finally alive. You're really, for the first time, a true human You're free to love. You're free to have peace. You're free to have joy and self-control. And just for some time in your notes or your life, go look at Galatians 5, 23 through 25, and notice something fascinating. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is, and he loves joy, peace, all these things. And then he makes this fascinating statement at the end. He says, of these things, there is no law. You know what that means? That means you are free to do those things as much as you want, and there's no stop sign. You are free in Christ to have as much joy in Christ as you possibly want. You are free, four-year-old child, to have as much self-control as you possibly want. And all the moms and dads said, yes, yes, right? You are free. You're free in Christ to do these things. Free from low-minded, earthly living to a heavenward attention for the glory of God and the benefit of others. You're free to do that stuff without a stop sign. And it's true freedom. And that freedom is to live as God designed. Now, now notice, what's the fruit? What, what comes out of that? Becoming more like Jesus every day and eventually eternal life. Now, here's a question for you. Who is the most free being in the universe? Jesus. And guess what God is doing in you through the power of God is he's making you more and more like Jesus. Who's the most free being in the universe? That's way better than the Declaration of Independence. So let's return to our metaphor, or maybe back up. Let's go back up, and you'll see this clearly in verse 23. See, there's a slavery that is freedom. Sin always pays death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, you can see this. Let's go back to the metaphor at the beginning. 
You don't have to listen to sin's decrees as you're driving to your new job. Because Christ has come and defeated the miserable foe and locked him up waiting for future judgment. You don't have to give in to sin while you're living in the country of grace. You, as a child of God, you belong to God. And you can now give yourselves to right living, which will lead you to true life. The land of Christ's sovereignty will bring you joy, peace, and true, abundant, wonderful life. So so the question really that Romans 6 just throwing out at us is, are you living as if you're united with Christ in his kingdom? Or are you living as if you're united to your sin in sin's kingdom? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage and for the gift of new life in Christ. Thanks be to God who has done these things. And Father, thank you that you don't take us off the hook, that you have now empowered us to obey. Help us to give ourselves to right living in your kingdom. And I I pray for my Christian friends, Lord, I think we all feel this daily struggle with sin. As we'll see in Romans 7, that sin is right at our elbow, pulling us back, weighing us down. The presence of it is present all the time. And many of us just find ourselves just feeling discouraged and distracted by sin. And I just pray that you would help us right now. And Christian, if you know of places in your life where you are willful and rebellious against God, right now would you confess and repent of that before God? He sees you. He knows you. He cares for you. You don't have to keep giving yourself to that sin anymore. It's a good time to confess that before God, before communion. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you you realize, oh, I've, I've been living under the kingdom of self and sin for so long, I don't even know the difference. And I, I need to be saved. I need to trust Christ. And I, this morning, just lay your heart before God. Confess your sin to God. Tell him that you believe in Christ and you want to be saved. So, Father, we... We thank you for the freedom that is in Christ. We have been freed from the law, but not freed from God. We're freed to God. What a gift. Thank you for your care for us. Thank you for the empowering of your grace and the freeing, the freedom your grace brings to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.